Well, greetings and welcome to another episode of The Deal Flow Show. I'm JP Maroney, your host, along with my co-host, Mr. Paul Nicolini from here at Harbor City Capital and The Deal Flow Show team. And welcome to another episode. We've got a great guest, Mr. David Panton from Navigation Capital Partners. And um, I, I'm excited about this topic. It's funny because we go through these years, as you know, where there's the latest buzzword, the latest thing. And we, you know, there's cannabis in the market and then there's... Uh, reggae and, and all sorts of things, crowdfunding and things like that. And then over the last 12 to 24 months, I hear SPAC, 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 SPAC. Um, also saw some interesting statistics talking about SPACs performing, underperforming, not working out, working out. I'd like to get into that. So I'm real excited, David, to have you on the show. And I want to go back a little bit, talk a little bit about how you got started in the capital markets, but definitely looking forward to digging into the SPAC topic and um, seeing what we can uncover there. But let's do go back a little bit and talk about how you got started in the capital markets. What was that, maybe the, the thing that drove you into that, the industry and uh, some of the first deals that you worked on? Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me and great to be here on uh, the Deal Flow Show. Uh, my name is David Panton, and I'm a managing partner of Navigation Capital Partners. And we are focused today exclusively on SPACs, which stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Companies. Uh, although we have a long history as a private equity firm, we've effectively pivoted from private equity into SPACs exclusively. So my background is from Jamaica, went to school in the United States, went to, uh, always wanted to be a lawyer until I got to law school. <laughs> and then I realized that I need to hire a lawyer, not be a lawyer. Um, and I went straight into investment banking uh, on Wall Street uh, at Morgan Stanley. And then I wanted to start my own private equity firm, which I did. Went back to Jamaica, where I'm from, and started a, a private equity firm uh, called Caribbean Investment Fund. Ran that for about five years. So that's how I got into the deal business. I used to tell people I ran the largest private equity firm in the Caribbean, which is true, but we were also the only private equity firm in the Caribbean, so we were the largest and the smallest. Um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where I'm based now, uh, in 2004, and I joined a private equity firm called Mellon Ventures, which had been started by a guy named Larry Mock, and two years later, Larry Mock and myself bought the firm. And we renamed it Navigation Capital Partners. So we've been involved in just under 50 transactions. We're backed primarily by Goldman Sachs. They're our largest LP. They gave us just under half a billion dollars to do investments. And we've done a number of investments in the lower middle market. In 2017 is when we decided to get involved in SPACs. And we partnered with two great entrepreneurs who we'd known very well, Daryl Mays and Bob Willis. Uh, and we did a SPAC called Pensari Acquisition Corp. And we despacked actually in April of 2020. So in um, basically in the peak of the apocalypse, we were able to complete our business combination. And so we decided to, and we've done several acquisitions subsequently. And so we decided to set up a SPAC group exclusively focused on investing in other SPACs, sponsoring SPACs, and investing in what's called the back end of SPACs. What was the reason for attracting the Goldman money? Was that your partner's background or how did you have the connection there? We, uh, when I joined the private equity firm, Mellon Ventures, uh, the parent company, Bank of New York Mellon, what's now Bank of New York Mellon, had decided that they wanted to exit private equity. And so this presented a great opportunity for us as effectively the managers of the fund to buy the portfolio. 
And Goldman Sachs has one of the most active secondaries uh, markets, meaning they buy funds from all the funds, buy the entire funds, they back management teams. And we approached Goldman Sachs. I was very fortunate. Uh, a, uh, a former roommate of mine from Harvard Law School was actually running that group, so that always helps. Um, but anyway, we made the pitch for uh, the or, or portfolio, and they gave us uh, just under half a billion dollars to acquire the portfolio and also gave us capital to do new deals. And so our focus has really been in the past, and even with SPACs, primarily focused on investing in companies that are sub-100 million in enterprise value and helping them grow. And the only real difference with SPACs is now we do that in a public company format. So we were buying private companies, keeping them private, and selling them to other private equity firms or taking them public. Now we're buying private companies and doing effectively a reverse merger, bringing them onto public exchanges like NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Just generally, what is your opinion as to why SPACs have become so hot? So hot? Yeah, I mean, you know, people chase the the shiny object, and they're kind of that shiny object right now. Why do you see it happening? What are the advantages or the the drivers behind that? So there are lots of different reasons. I'd actually say one of them, ironically, is the growth of private equity. Uh, so there are in the United States today approximately eight thousand private equity portfolio companies, which represent an, an investment of approximately two trillion dollars. And then there's another $2 trillion in dry powder of private equity available. So private equity has grown significantly as an asset category. And the majority of those 8,000 public uh, private equity-backed portfolio companies are highly levered. And they need a method of exiting. So the private equity firms have sold to other private equity firms. They've tried to take companies public. But one of the problems with taking a company public, the traditional route is it takes a long time. It's very expensive. It's very dependent on the market window opening. And one very important issue is it's, the SEC prohibits private companies from providing financial projections. A SPAC can be done much faster than a traditional IPO, much cheaper than a traditional IPO, and very importantly, not only can provide several years of financial projections, but they're obligated to provide that. So it provides a huge uh, advantage over the traditional IPO process. In addition to that, you may or may not know, but the number of public companies in the United States has fallen dramatically. So back in 1996, there were fewer than 2,000 private equity-backed portfolio companies. That number has quadrupled to 8,000 today, as I mentioned. But back in 1996, there were 8,000 publicly traded companies on exchanges like NASDAQ and the NYSE. And that number has fallen from 8,000 to under 4,000 today. So it's fallen in half. And at the same time, the amount of money going into the public markets has quintupled from around $7 trillion to $35 trillion. So you have far more money searching far fewer deals. So there's a lot of fundamental long-term investors who are very hungry for public deal flow. And you do have a, a, a pipeline of these 8,000 private equity firms. You also have, interestingly, a pipeline of what are called unicorns uh, and aspiring unicorns. So venture capital has also grown significantly to around 10,000 venture capital-backed companies today, of which around three to 4,000 are either unicorns or aspiring unicorns, uh, meaning values between, say, 200 to a billion. A unicorn is over a billion dollars. 
they need somewhere to exit and they face the same issues of traditional IPOs, expensive, take a long time, big distraction for management, and they can't put their projections. So SPACs are a solution to the demand from fundamental long-term investors and also to finding an outlet for highly levered private equity back portfolio companies and highly valued venture capital companies that need to exit. This fits exactly what you said to me was yesterday morning, right? You said some of these insane multiples that people are yes. getting in the public markets yes. right now, and not even multiples, multiples of zero, yeah. right? Pre-revenue yep. companies ideas. that are ideas. Ideas. Yeah, yeah. napkin ideas, <laughs> essentially weird little apps and stuff that are getting ridiculous <laughs> cash in the public markets, and that plays to what you were talking about, I think, that there's this appetite. I do want to be clear, though, that uh, although there are and have been a number of SPAC transactions, which companies have effectively, private companies have effectively done a reverse merger into a public company, uh, that there have been some which, to your point, have been relatively low uh, revenues and relatively low profitability, if any. Several of them are, are money losing. But there have been many, many more uh, traditional companies. So just to be clear, Burger King at one point was a SPAC. Hostess was a SPAC. Uh, there have been some very large companies that have been SPACs recently. A big a company called Multiplan, a financial cert, which is a, a $11 billion transaction. Uh, the largest transaction done into a SPAC recently was a company called United Wholesale Mortgage, which is a $16 billion a wholesale mortgage provider uh, out of Michigan, uh, which is a very large provider of mortgages directly or through certain channels. So there have been very large companies. So the media focuses a lot, uh, obviously, on some of these smaller companies, but there have been some very large companies that have done it as well. And a, a large part of these companies, if you think about it logically, what the market is doing is they're valuing the growth of these companies and they're valuing the disruption. Many of these smaller companies, which is an area we don't really focus too much on, we focus more on the traditional uh, larger uh, com private companies and taking them private, but we do look at them and monitor that market. But use the example of DraftKings. DraftKings is uh, one of the largest online gaming companies in America. They went public in April of this year. So in, again, in a terrible month, April 2020, privately owned company, they merged with a SPAC. And SPACs can do larger deals. So the SPAC itself had about $400 million. That's what they had raised. They merged into a company at a valuation of $3 billion, just under $3 billion. So that's another advantage of SPACs is that you can leverage not in terms of debt, but you can utilize the infrastructure to get larger deals because the sellers can roll into the company. And DraftKings today has a market capitalization of $15 billion, just a six months later, right? And it's a company that has about 300 million in revenues uh, and is losing money. So that's an example of a company with you know relatively low revenues that's losing money, but they are a first mover in online gaming. During COVID, what were people doing? <laughs> the kids were playing video games and a lot of the adults yep. <laughs> were doing online gaming. Uh, they have relationships with the NBA, the NFL, et cetera. And it's a company which has a significant opportunity to be much larger in the future. 
They couldn't have told that story in a traditional IPO process. They could have told it because of the uh, they were doing uh, a, a, a transaction into a SPAC. And that has helped, as well as the demand for companies like that, has helped increase the valuation. And so, you know, the largest shareholder in, in DraftKings is a guy named Shalom McKenzie, who was, you know, an Israeli a tech entrepreneur. He now owns 10% of the company. You know, 10% of one and a half billion is, of, 10, of 15 billion is one and a half billion. Uh, and he has taken cash out to the company as well. So he's become a billionaire uh, pretty much overnight, really in the past six months, largely because he did a transaction with a SPAC. So SPACs really are a very good mechanism for putting cash or equity on the balance sheet. So we're, we're, we're swinging the pendulum. Private equity was an effective way of raising debt on private company balance sheets. SPACs are now a mechanism of putting cash or equity onto uh, balance sheets of private companies and helping them grow. And all of these are, the SPACs have maybe an industry focus, but no predetermined acquisition at the time of inception, correct? Well, let's be clear on that. So, and so let's just take a quick step back. We're, we're talking about SPACs and assuming everyone knows. So let's just clarify and define what a SPAC is. So a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company, which means it is a company that has a special purpose. And that special purpose is to make an acquisition. It doesn't have to be an acquisition. It could be a merger. So, and they typically have a time period in which to do that. And it's typically two years. So a SPAC has a sponsor who typically, as you said, has a thesis or an industry they want to focus on, but they don't have to do that. So there have been SPACs which are focused on one industry but bought a company in another industry. So it's not a requirement that they buy a company in that industry. Uh, but it is a requirement that they do a deal within a certain period of time. And the only other requirement is, to your point, they cannot know what company they're going to buy before they take it public. So if you're watching this and thinking, well, I want to buy that company and I need $200 million, let me go and raise $200 million to buy that company. Uh, you cannot do that if you have spoken to the company. You can raise the $200 million, and then you can approach the company. You just have to do it after you raise the capital. So you have two years to do it, and the only other requirement is that the fair market value of the company that you merge with or that you acquire must be at least 80% of the amount of money that you raise. So it's a very effective mechanism for raising capital relatively quickly, identifying private companies, and effectively making them public. One little feature of SPACs, which I believe make them particularly interesting, and is another reason that SPACs have grown uh, quite a bit this year, and just to give you some statistics on that, uh, the record year for SPACs prior to 2020 was last year, 2019. And in 2019, there were approximately 60 SPACs that raised just under $15 billion of capital. This year, 2020, so far, more than double the number of SPACs, so over 120 SPACs have raised not 15 billion or 30 billion, but closer to 60 billion dollars. So the amount of money raised is four times. So in a year in which you know almost every industry has experienced difficulties, challenges, and, and many companies have been hammered in terms of growth, the SPAC industry actually quadrupled in terms of the amount of money raised. So it is a record year. One of the reasons for that is because SPACs have a unique feature. If you invest in a SPAC IPO, you receive units, not shares. 
Those units include a bundle of securities, which include a share, and oftentimes, in fact, almost always, a, a warrant or a fraction of a warrant. So a half a warrant, a third of a warrant, two thirds of a warrant. And a warrant is simply a right to buy a share uh, in the future at a certain price. All SPAC IPOs, unlike traditional IPOs, which can be priced at various levels, are priced at $10. So all SPACs or should be priced at $10. A few have priced differently. So for example, Bill Ackman did a $4 billion SPAC, which is the largest SPAC raised, and he priced his at $20. But 99.9% .9 of SPACs are priced at $10 per unit, and they include a share and a warrant or, or a fraction of a warrant. The investor in that IPO unit has a unique feature, which I've never seen in any other investment. And if you know of any other, let me know. The investor has a right to get their money back. So if you invest that $10 after two, two years or whenever the sponsor finds a company, the investor can say, hmm, I'm not interested in that company. I want to get my $10 back. Not only do you get your $10 back, and then you have to get back the shares, but the money is invested in a separate third-party managed trust account, and that money is invested in treasuries. So you get to get a treasury return. And on top of that treasury return, you're also able to keep the warrant that I mentioned. So the warrant trades separately from the shares. I didn't either. So a unique feature of SPACs, and, and people sort of figured this out. A lot of institutional investors said, hold on a second. This is an investment where I can put $10 into a security, a publicly traded liquid security that I can buy and sell. But if I hold on to it and wait until they find a company or wait until two years, I can get back my $10 and I can get uh, a treasury return and I can sell the warrants because I can keep the warrants. And those warrants can trade at like 50 cents. So in theory, you could get a 5 to 8% return unlevered, risk-free. And I can't give and don't give investment advice, but I will tell anyone, my friends, if you want to invest in something, that's a great investment because there are very few places where you can get a 5 to 8% unlevered return. And obviously, there are several funds which lever these companies. And when they lever them, that eight, say they do two-to-one leverage, then that 8% just turns to 16%. And if the SPAC sponsor finds a good company, like, say, the DraftKings transaction, and the stock goes up at the date of close when you have a right to get your money back, instead of taking your money back, you can sell your shares to the market. So that their stock, I believe, went to $12 or $13 initially, and now it's much higher. So they would have made you know, a 35, 40, 50% return without any risks. So that's a great investment, I believe. And that's one of the things we do, we invest in SPACs. And we have that no downside feature. But we also invest in the sponsor capital, which is at risk. So that raising of the initial IPO, someone has to pay for it, the sponsor pays for it. And it costs around $5 million to raise a $100 million SPAC. So $5 million at risk. If the sponsor doesn't find a deal in two years, then guess what? They lose the $5 million. So that's a real issue. But if they do find a deal, what do they get in return? They will get 25% of the amount raised. So it's $100 million raised. 25% of $100 million is $25 million. Uh, and that $25 million is in stock. And there is a lockup, meaning you can't sell your stock 
for one year after you do your business combination. But that's only one year of liquidity compared to private equity. You know, we're used to being locked up for 10 years. So being locked up for one year is not bad from our perspective. Plus, you get the value of your investment, the five million in a security, typically warrants. So for a $5 million investment, you're getting 25 million in stock plus 5 million in securities. That's $30 million. $30 million on a 5 million investment is a 6x return on the face of it. And there are not too many investments where you can literally on the day you raise the capital have a 6x return. No, that 6x could be zero. So there is a risk on being the sponsor capital. But if you do a good deal and the stock price goes up, there's an opportunity for it to be even higher than 6x. Could be, could be less, could be 5x, 4x, 3x, or 2x. But we believe on a risk-adjusted basis, it is the, we believe, the best returning asset class out there. And actually, empirically, since 2015, the return of sponsor capital investment is around six and a half times. So if you look at all the people who have invested in sponsor capital and what it's worth today, it's about a six and a half times return. So we really like sponsor capital. We really like just investing in SPAC IPOs, but we like that downside feature. The return isn't as high as sponsor capital, but it's a very safe investment. And we really like investing in pipes, which stands for a private investment in a public entity, because that feature of a SPAC is also a bug. So the feature is you can get your money back, but the bug part is if people take their money back, you don't have the money to close the deal. So you now have to go out and find other investors to participate in the SPAC. Uh, to participate in the closing. And that's done through a private investment in a public entity or pipe. And we invest in pipes as well. Just to be clear, David, who, so what's the first money going in on a SPAC and what's the percentage of limit to that? What's the minimum limit to that to get that SPAC going? Is that the sponsor capital? Yeah, so that's the sponsor capital. So right. the sponsor has to raise capital to pay for the expenses of raising the IPO. And those expenses are primarily underwriter expenses and legal expenses. But there are some other deal expenses. So one golden rule that I've, I've said on Wall Street is no matter what happens, the investment banker always gets paid. And that's right. true in SPACs. So of the, the majority of the money raised of the sponsor capital to raise the $100 million, let's say the 5 million, that is, most of that goes to the underwriter for raising 100 million. Some of it goes to the lawyer and there's some for deal expenses. And there is no limit on the size of the SPAC you can raise. So SPACs have been as small as 50 million, but the reality is having a 50 million publicly traded company doesn't make a lot of sense. And so there have been $100 million SPACs, $150 million SPACs, there actually have been quite a few. The average size of a SPAC has gone up quite significantly. So the average size for the first in the early 2000s was approximately 100 million. Uh, for the past five years, it doubled to 200 million. So the average SPAC IPO is 200 million. And this year, 2020, it's doubled again. And the average SPAC size is 400 million. So we're having larger and larger SPACs. I mentioned earlier Bill Ackman from Pershing Square. He did the largest SPAC to date, which was a $4 billion SPAC which is four times larger than the previous record, which is a billion dollar SPAC. So most SPACs were in that, you know, 50 to billion dollar range, most around 200 million for the past five years. Now they're average 400 million. 
Very good. I want you to walk us through a deal in just a moment, but before we do that, if you are watching or listening to this episode of The Deal Flow Show, you can get access to our previous episodes, our archives, as well as subscribe and follow us to get access to future episodes as we release them by going to thedealflowshow.com. That's thedealflowshow.com. We've got Dr. David Panton here with us with Navigation Capital Partners talking SPACs. So can you walk us through a deal like from the inception and maybe in this particular case, one that maybe y'all were the sponsor of the SPAC, but kind of walk us through the deal, the money getting raised. What are the time frames? What are the big milestones in this process? All right. So the first step is a sponsor putting up the capital to pay for the IPO. Uh, so let's use DraftKings, for example. So they raised the proxy. The, the SPAC was a firm, uh, we'll just call them Diamond. It was the name of the SPAC. And almost all SPACs have the names Acquisition Corp at the end. All right. So I believe it was Diamond Merger Acquisition Corp. And they raised $400 million. To raise that $400 million, it cost them, remember I said $5 million per $100 million, so five times four, approximately $20 million. So they wrote a check for $20 million, most of which went to a bank investment banker who was the underwriter and some went to lawyers and then they had some other costs to pay for uh to pay for the transaction itself but the, none of that capital goes to them they can't charge fees they can't take any of that capital back a hundred percent of the 400 million dollars that was raised goes into a trust account which is managed by a third party so however long it takes you to put the $20 million together is however long it takes. For some people, it takes months or weeks. For some people, it's one day or five minutes. You write the check, right? Um, so however long that takes, that can be very quick or that can take a long time. The roadshow itself doesn't have to take that long. You do meet with investors. The majority of investors in SPACs today are hedge funds. Uh, and that's because hedge funds are, it's a financial instrument. There's no valuation of a company or multiple of EBITDA or multiple of revenues, just what, what type of warrant coverage am I getting? How long am I going to have my money out there? Uh, who's the third party trust manager? So it's very basic questions that the hedge funds are asking. And they do want to know about the management team and the strategy, but they're really concerned about the fundamentals of the financial investment. So you go on a roadshow to raise the $400 million and their roadshow probably took about a few weeks. It could take a few weeks, you know, investors in New York, Boston, Canada, et cetera. There are a lot of SPAC investors in Canada, interestingly. Um, and then you raise the 400 million primarily from institutional investors. No, you're a publicly traded company and you have three securities. In their case, they had three securities. One was the units, the second were the shares and the third were the warrants. And they trade freely and separately on the exchanges. NASDAQ has been a very big exchange or firm. We have a relationship with the New York Stock Exchange, which has now become the number one exchange for bringing SPACs to the market. And so we were able to, uh, in that situation, the company raises uh, the $400 million and the $400 million um, is put into a trust account managed by a third party entity, uh, a, a trust company. And the management team has no access to that capital. That capital is invested in treasuries, as I mentioned. And the sponsor team now has two years to go and find a company. In the case of Diamond Acquisition Corp, after around a year, they identified a company, DraftKings, and another company called SB Technologies. They negotiated with them. That probably took about two months. They announced the transaction, which was the DraftKings deal, 
in around December of 2019. It took them a few months to close the transaction. They raised a pipe in between that private investment and public entities where they went to a select number of institutional investors to get capital. And they closed the transaction in August in uh, August of this year. Uh, sorry, April of, uh, of 2020. So the whole process takes less than two years and the value today of the sponsor capital is several billion dollars actually. So they invested 20 uh, million and they've made several billion. Um, and now it's a publicly traded company and you can buy shares in DraftKings and they're, they're no longer a SPAC. So they have de spacked They're now a regular way public company. So that's an example of, of the whole process beginning to end. Do you guys, David, at, at uh, Navigation Capital Partners, is there an industry or are you guys agnostic when it comes to SPACs? What, what do you look for? We're industry agnostic, uh, but we do like industries that are large, which are relatively fragmented, where there are multiple M&A candidates, because at the end of the day, you want to sift through candidates to find uh, good companies. Uh, we do have a legacy in certain areas at Navigation. We've invested in service companies, business services companies, financial services, financial technology services, uh, prop tech. So we, we like the service areas, but quite frankly, if we find a first class management team in an industry, which we don't know very well, and we think they can have access to deal flow and buy good deals, then we'll back them. We'll do our research, we'll get smart on it. So we're industry agnostic, but we do have a certain expertise in certain service industries. Are there sponsors that are involved in more than one SPAC or is it um, kind of like go down one path at a time? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. So uh, there are several firms that have done multiple SPACs. Uh, so Gore's acquisition, uh, I think they're on their fifth or sixth uh, SPAC now. There's a firm called Churchill, uh, which was started by um, uh, a gentleman named Michael Klein. Uh, he's now on his sixth or seventh uh, SPAC as well. Uh, so there have been several of, of those. Uh, there is one other individual who's doing something similar to what we do at Navigation. Uh, so we do concurrent SPACs. So we're willing to have multiple SPACs in the market at the same time. Most people do sequential SPACs. Uh, and that person um, is a gentleman named Chamath Halipalitia. And he has a firm called Social Capital. And he has done several SPACs. He bought uh, Virgin Galactic in one. He recently announced a, a deal with Open Door, which is a prop tech company. Uh, and he, in, in one week, listed three SPACs. That was the first time ever, and that, this was just a few weeks ago, where he came to market with three different social capital sponsored SPACs. So we were very excited about that because that's exactly what we are in the process of doing, of bringing multiple SPACs to market. So it was very good to see that he had done it. We would have preferred to have been first, but we're fine with Chamath um, being first. He's, a, he's an amazing investor. And by the way, he, is, he has reserved the tickers IPO.A, IPO.B, IPO.C, D, E, F, all the way to Z. So he plans to do at least 26 SPACs. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. What um, here at Dillflow Show, we obviously have a diverse audience of people at all levels and and laterally and vertically within the capital markets. What sort of people would you like to be able to connect with or have reach out to you as a result of hearing you here on the Dillflow Show? We're always looking for great operators, CEOs, especially those who have public company experience who are thinking, hey, I'd like to get into the SPAC game, but I'm not sure how to do it. We talk to people like that 
all the time. So they're really good at what they do, but they don't necessarily know the capital markets or know how to, to put us back together. And so we bring that expertise and that knowledge and that experience. So that's one category of people we would, would love to talk to. Uh, if there are other people out there who are doing SPACs and are looking for capital, uh, we'd be glad to talk to them as well. And obviously we're in the business of raising capital. So if there's anyone who's interested in investing in SPACs and wants to have access to any of these strategies, they're very hard actually to get access to a pipe investment or access to sponsor capital. We are, we believe the only institution out there, private equity firm, which invests in all three of those strategies today. So, uh, you know, we provide access for those who are interested, accredited, or qualified by it. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Uh, they can contact me directly. Uh, my email is dpanton at navigationcapital.com. And that's D-P-A-N-T-O-N at navigationcapital, all one word, dot com. And our website is navigationcapital.com. David Panton, Navigation Capital Partners. On behalf of myself, J.P. Maroney, Mr. Paul Nicolini, we really appreciate you being on the show and uh, sharing with us. We've uh, touched on this topic and you've given us some depth on this mm. that we haven't had on the show yet. I really appreciate definitely. that. So definitely looking forward to having some offline conversations with you and seeing if there's some opportunities and things we might work together on as well. If you are watching or listening to this episode of the deal flow show and you're thinking, Hmm, I might be a good guest for that show. Reach out to us, go to the click on the link to apply or suggest a guest and let us know. If you maybe have someone that you think would be a good guest, someone that you know in the industry, perhaps your CEO at your company, someone that you're in contact with, of course, we're always looking for great guests for the show. If you are watching or listening to this episode and you go, man, I'd like to have a whole lot more of this, you're in luck. You can go to thedealflowshow.com. You can also find us on nearly every podcast and video and audio platform out there, including iTunes, etc. So if you're watching or listening to the episode, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. And on behalf of Mr. Paul Nicolini, my partner here yes. in crime at uh, The Deal Flow Show, our team, our producer, Daniel Pinaranda, and our video genius, Mr. Jesse McMahon, as well as the team here at Harbor City Capital. We'll see you again in another episode very, very soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. For more episodes, visit thedealflowshow.com and subscribe.